Welcome to Minds on Manufacturing, brought to you by MC Machinery Systems, where experts in manufacturing discuss insights, ideas, and solutions. Hello, and welcome to Minds on Manufacturing. My name is John Meyer. I'm the bending specialist here at MC Machinery Systems, as well as your host for today's episode. Our guests today are David Bray from MC Machinery Systems and Steve Brown from Wilson Tool. With a combined 50 years of fabrication experience, we hope to answer some common questions about press brakes and tooling. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. David, would you mind starting us off with your current role and how you came to be here? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, my name is David Bray. I'm the National Product Manager for Press Break here at MC Machinery. Um, I've been here about 15 years. Uh, I've spent about 20, a little over 25 years uh, in the industry. Started in a sheet metal shop, um, moved to, to from assembly to uh, turret punch presses to lasers, and then finally to um, press breaks. Worked on old hydraulic press breaks. Um, went from there to... Um, one of the major manufacturers for uh, press brakes. I was a service technician there and then did overseas uh, service management for them for service technicians and worked in the U.S. and abroad. Uh, came back to the States and been with MITS for 15 years now. Um, uh, been product manager for the past four years. Great. Thank you, David. Steve, how about yourself? I've been with Wilson Tool for 26 years. And I started out with Wilson on a sales desk. So customers would send applications to me. I'd select tooling. Uh, we, we grew into a, a company that was big enough that we wanted to go to an integrated system called SAP. And I got sucked into project work for three or four years, helped implement SAP, and then back to the sales area. So the internal sales area, and I was the manager for the sales and design groups for th the past 13 years until I moved into a product manager job about five or six years ago in marketing. So that's been my my path and um, a lot learned over the that time. All right, guys, thanks for that. So our first question today comes from those looking to purchase press brake tooling. We hear a lot about plane tooling, ground tooling, precision tooling. Uh, David, if you wouldn't mind starting us off, what types of tools are out there and what are some of the differences? Um, probably start off with uh, what are they? So you hear a lot about uh, plane tooling or planar tooling. Um, really, uh, it's the way of the manufacturing process for the tools. Um, they're planed in long lengths, traditionally about 20 feet. Um, they're planed in the X and Y coordinate, um, usually two five thousandths over the overall length. Um, it's traditionally used in coining and bottom bending operations. Um, precision ground tooling um, are machined in shorter lengths. Um, they're precision ground uh, to five ten thousandths um, in the profile um, and height accuracy while holding a consistent center line. That's kind of your, your two uh, simple explanations. The differences, I mean, look, they, they, they function, they fit, uh, they look the same in a press brake, um, but due to the manufacturing processes, um, the, the plane tooling, whether it's traditional planer or even precision planer, um, suffers the same issues of, you know, five thousandths, uh, over the entire length of the tool. So if you take one tool that you've cut down, um, or you buy one, uh, in 2020 and you had another one that was in 2018, um, those two tools, when you put them side to side are, can be off by as much as a uh, hundredth. 
you know, now take that for every tool setup an operator does uh, in his machine. Um, no two operators are going to achieve the same quality, the same setup time, or even the same forming time. Precision ground tooling just is higher initial has initial uh, higher initial cost, um, but it's easier to install, easier to set up, has tighter tolerances. It makes the forming um, a lot easier for the operator, and then you have the added benefit of doing staging or using uh, square uh, U-shaped dies. Um, so it's it's there's a lot of benefits between the there are a lot of differences between the two setups or types of tooling rather. Okay, that makes sense. Steve, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, you get into the, just the process that they're made. If you if you ever see a planer work, look up a planer online and, and watch it. It actually scrapes material, so it'll take lengths of scrapes against the material, and the heat comes out of the the process into a coil, and the coil falls away. And it's incredible the the surface finish that a planer can achieve, but it's nothing like a ground surface. So you can see there's physical differences in the surface finish, and that's what plays right into that tolerance. And I think the other thing you're going to see is real commonly, because these are being made in long lengths, it's that traditional flat tang tool. It doesn't have a safety hook on it unless you ask for it, so it's not standard. Mm. If you're going to buy a brand new press brake, you're probably pretty interested in safety. And as you load this tool, and it doesn't have a safety hook, and your other brakes have these features, you're running the risk of people just being used to having a safety tang, but in this case, they don't, and the tool drops out. So um, probably not designed even. The planer style tool, probably not really designed for the, the newest press brake you're ever going to buy. You, you wouldn't buy that brake, that tool for that reason. Um, and you're not going to have a button. You generally don't have buttons in the tools. So commonly, you're seeing a button so that you can depress the button, load it vertically, let go of the button, and it, and it hangs by the safety tang. So... So safety is a big factor that most people don't take into consideration when thinking about buying new tooling. For sure. Uh, David, I hear you mentioned coining. We hear a lot about air bending, coining, and bottom bending. Uh, Steve, could you give us a quick breakdown of the differences between the bend types? Yeah, if you've got three different methods of bending, you've got air bending, and then that kind of transpires into bottom bending, which flows into coining. And, and your air bending is going to give you the most versatility in your tooling. You're going to have the smallest tool set. You can make a 30-degree bend in, in a, with a 30-degree punch and die, or you can make a 90-degree bend with a 30-degree punch and die. So you're going to control the stroke and do true three-point bending and call it air bending. You get the bottom bending, and now the, your die is probably going to equal your angle. But your punch could be something different. It could be an 88-degree punch and a 90-degree die, but you're still going to be limited in what you can do with versatility. So um, and if you want to cross that line, you get into coining. And as you get into coining, your angle of your punch and the angle of your die equals the angle of your bend. So every time you change your angle, every time you change the radius that you'd like to have on the inside of the material, you have to have a tool set for that. So it... Air bending is going to have the lowest tool inventory. Coining is going to have the highest tool inventory. Air bend is going to have the lowest tonnage. Coining is going to have the highest tonnage. David, anything to add on to what Steve said? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. We, I see kind of the the, the coining going the way of the dinosaur. You know, I, most people now who talk about coining aren't really doing coining. They're doing some form of bottoming. Um, you know, uh, most customers I run into uh, going into customer shops, uh, they're they're air bending, um, but they usually run into um, 
you know, accuracy issues or, uh, you know, high scrap count or, you know, consistency. And really, I mean, airbending, airbending is fantastic. You know, you can, you can accomplish a lot of it, you know, with a lot of benefits and high flexibility. But customers really need to understand, you know, you need good quality tooling, you need good material, and you need an accurate press brake in order to effectively um, get good, consistent, accurate parts out of your forming department. Okay, and that's going to lead us here into the third question about modern press brakes versus older press brakes. David, why should a shop owner consider getting a new or modern press brake? I mean, the the differences in modern press brakes I see very uh, very similar to the differences in in planed and, and precision ground tooling. Um, yeah, I mean, your planer tooling um, will get a job will get the job done, but it re- it's going to require uh, a more um, craftsman-like operator who's going to have to have a lot of knowledge in his back pocket to get good parts out consistently. Um, and those are kind of hard to find. If, if A lot of our customers are kind of coming to us, telling, asking us, you know, or telling, saying to us that they can't find good qualified people to run their machinery. You know, a more accurate, a more modern machine um, is going to uh, get more information to the operator is going to be a more accurate machine, especially when you get into hybrids and electrics, talking about um, uh, versus hydraulic machines. You know, there's a lot of features that are built into the machine to make the machine much more efficient, much more accurate, more consistent um, with smart features like thickness detection um, or, uh, uh, you know, angle compensation or anything like that. So there's there's... A lot of differences go moving into um, modern press brakes. Yeah, and really, if you took take a look at the other two things we talked about, your tool style and that modern press brake, we want a precision tool. And over time, the press brakes have gotten better. They've gotten more accurate. The repeatability, the, the controls and what they can do. And that's really driven that tooling market to be better. So if the machine can do it, like David said, if you need a machine, you need quality material and quality tooling. We have the machine. Let's go get the material. And then you have to have tooling. So over time, the, the three have really fed off each other to push each other into where we're at today. And that's a much more accurate and productive machine for sure. Yeah. I mean, to, to, to I guess to quantify it to, you know, to its most simplest form, you know, if, 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 if a customer is going to spend a thousand dollars, we'll say, on this plain tool, you know, and a precision ground tool is, um, we'll say, worst case scenario, uh, fifteen hundred, eighteen hundred dollars compared to the plain tool. Customers are like, oh, why do I need to spend so much for a tool? What, well, what you're not really looking at is, okay, well, how long is it going to take your operator to set up that job to bend that part? How long is it going to take your operator to get a good consistent part out of using that tool? You know, they're not, they're looking at the initial cost, but they're not reviewing the whole thing and actually doing an efficiency analysis over what's going to be best for their business. You know, if I'm doing five, 10, 15 setups in a day, um, my operator could be spending 20, 30 minutes a day trying to set up this plain tooling in this machine when just switching the tool style could save 30% or more just going to precision ground tooling. And the same kind of is true with, with press brakes. Like customers kind of say, why do I need to spend so much money on a, on a press brake? You know, if a press brake is, I'll just say $50,000 and I need to go to one that's double the price, you're, 
you're getting efficiencies moving to newer technology, whether it's a thickness detection, whether it's, it's a higher accuracy of a machine, um, whether it's a faster machine, you're going to produce parts and more accurate, more consistent with newer technology because you get those newer features. It's, it's no different. Uh, you gain efficiency, and over the long run of you owning that piece of equipment, it's actually cheaper to move to the better, more accurate tooling or machinery than it is to try to save money in, at, the, at, the, at the forefront. Yeah, and I think the, the one thing I heard you say is setup time, setup, 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 more efficient setup, more precision equals more l- lower setup time. And I think setup time a lot of times gets reduced down to how long did it take me to change a tool? So I've got the tool in my hand. I put it in the machine. I clamp it. That's setup time, but that's not really setup time. Setup time is last good part, the first good part. So all these things, the tilt in your RAM, the repeatability in your RAM, the accuracy of the tooling, trying to find tooling. If, if I have the conventional style tool, it's all one piece, and I don't want seams in my part, that's how I prevent the seams. I have my tool one piece, so a four-foot bend has to have a tool and a three-foot bend and a two-and-a-half-foot bend. They all need their own set of tooling because I can't put pieces together to get the four feet. I have all these segments around my shop. And as you cut that tool, it's not labeled. So your setup time has to include the the operator going, I think I have one of these on my rack somewhere over here. It's not labeled, but I'll go find it anyways. That's part of your setup time. So um, you can't cheat yourself when you start talking about setup time because not putting a tool on the brake, that's not really a setup. Yeah. It's, and it's hard to quantify. You know, a lot of people, they only, they only look at, you know, they estimate how many times that they, they, they do a setup or how many times that they run parts throughout the day. But a lot of times, like, we'll go out and do a, uh, an efficiency analysis at a customer's facility. And, you know, we'll sit there and watch them while they're, they're doing their parts. We've got kind of a checklist going through. And customers, like, you know, we will ask them beforehand when we're doing demos or, you know, kind of a prior a preliminary conversation. And they'll say, okay, yeah, our setup time is um, 15 minutes. And you go out there and, yeah, the guy spent 15 minutes just looking for tooling. Then he spent another 20, 25 minutes putting that tooling in the machine. Then he's bent one part and found he's got a seam or he's got a taper in the part just from the tools because once you cut them, you have to put them in the exact same order um, as what you cut them. Otherwise, it's not going to be consistent. Um, and then he's another five minutes getting the right piece of tool, putting it in there. And then by the time you know, he's 45 minutes from when he first grabbed the, the, the work follower to he's got his first article. Um, and then now he's, he's bending his production. So it's, there's a lot of unseens and a lot of, a lot of manufacturers, you know, nowadays they, some of them are starting to do kind of efficiency analysis, especially for their forming departments, but it's kind of a, it's it's almost an unseen thing that customers really don't take into account. Excellent information, guys. Thank you for your time. That's going to be it for our episode today. So, key takeaways from the experts. Plain tooling may be cheap, but it's going to cost you in poorly formed parts. Air bending opens up a world of flexibility in press brake tooling, and a new press brake and precision tooling can bring your shop into this century with bending simulations and modern efficiencies. We hope this was helpful to the listeners, and be sure to keep an eye out for our next episode. If you have any ideas or suggestions on topics you would like to hear covered, please reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or on our website at mcmachinery.com. 
Thanks again for listening. This has been Minds on Manufacturing.